0: ted audio collective this interview features twitter and square ceo jack dorsey in conversation with head of ted chris anderson and ted current affairs curator whitney pennington rogers recorded live at ted 2019 advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com thematic investing.
1: What worries you right now about, I mean, you've been very open about lots of issues on Twitter. What would be your top worry about where things are right now?
2: Right right now, the, the health of the conversation. So our purpose is to, is to serve the public conversation and uh, we have seen a number of attacks on it. Um, we have seen abuse, we've seen harassment, we've seen manipulation, um, automation, human coordination, uh, misinformation. <clears throat> so these are, all, these are all dynamics that we were not uh, expecting 13 years ago when we were starting the, when we were starting the company. Um, but we do now see them at scale. And... What worries me most is um, just our ability to address it in a systemic way that is scalable, um, that has a rigorous understanding of um, how we're taking action, a transparent understanding of how we're taking action, and a rigorous appeals process for when we're wrong, because we will we will be wrong.
0: And I'm really glad to hear that that's something that concerns you, because I, I think... You know, there's been a lot written about people who feel they've been abused and harassed on Twitter, and I think no one more so than women and women of color and Black women. And there's been data that's come out. You know, Amnesty International put out a report a few months ago where they showed that a subset of active Black female Twitter users were receiving, on average, one in 10 of their tweets were some form of harassment. And so when you think about health for the community on Twitter, I'm interested to hear specifically, you know, health for everyone, but specifically how are you looking to make Twitter a safe space for that subset, for women, for women of color and black women?
2: Yeah, it, so it's a, it's a pretty terrible situation um, when you're, you're coming to a service that um, ideally you're, you know, you, you want to learn something about the world and you spend the majority of your time um, reporting abuse, receiving abuse, receiving harassment. Um, So uh, what we're we're looking most deeply at is just the incentives that the platform naturally provides and the service provides. Right now, the dynamic of the system makes it super easy to harass and to abuse others through the service. Um, And unfortunately, the majority of our system in the past worked entirely based on people reporting uh, harassment and abuse. Um, so about midway last year, we decided that we were going to apply a lot more machine learning, a lot more deep, deep learning to the problem, and try to be a lot more proactive around where abuse is happening so that we can take the burden off the victim completely. Um, and we've made some, we made some progress recently. About 38 percent, of um, abusive tweets are now proactively identified by our machine learning algorithms, so people don't actually have to report them. But those that are identified are still reviewed by humans. So we do not take down content or accounts without a human actually reviewing it. But that was from zero percent just a year ago. So that meant, at that zero percent, every single person who received abuse had to actually report it, which was a lot of work for them, a lot of work for us and just ultimately unfair. The other thing that we're doing is making sure that we, as a company, have representation of all the communities that we're trying to serve. We can't build a business that is successful unless we have a diversity of perspective inside our walls that actually feel these issues every single day. And that's not just with the team that's doing the work, um, it's also within our leadership as well. So we need to continue to build empathy for um, what people are experiencing and give them better tools to um, act on it and also give our customers uh, a much better and easier approach to handle some of the things that they're seeing. So a lot of, a lot of what we're doing is around technology, but we're also looking at the, um, the incentives on the service. What, what does Twitter incentivize you to do when you first open it up? And in the past... It's incented a lot of outrage, it's incented a lot of mob, mob behavior, it's incented a lot of group harassment. Um, and we have to look a lot deeper at some of the fundamentals of what the service is doing to make the bigger shifts. We can, we can make a bunch of small shifts around technology, as I just described, but ultimately we have to look deeply at the dynamics in the network itself, and that's what we're doing right now. But, and what's your
1: sense? Like, what is the kind of thing that you might be able to change that would actually fundamentally shift behavior?
2: Well, one, I mean, one of the things, we, we started the service with um, this concept of following an account, uh, as an example. Um, and I, I don't believe that's why people actually come to Twitter. I believe Twitter is, is best as, a, as an interest-based network. People come with a particular interest um, they have to do a ton of work to find and follow the related accounts around those interests. What we could do instead is allow you to follow an interest, follow a hashtag, follow a trend, follow a community, um, which gives us the opportunity to show all the accounts, all the topics, all the moments, all the hashtags that are associated with that, uh, with that particular topic and interest, which really opens up the, the perspective that you, that you see. Um, but that is a huge fundamental shift to bias the entire network away from just an account bias towards a topics and interest biased.
1: Because isn't it the case that the um, I mean you, that one reason why you have so much content on there is as a result of putting millions of people around the world in this this kind of gladiatorial contest with each other for followers for attention. Like a lot f- from the point of view who just read people who just read Twitter. That's not an issue, but for the people who actually create it, everyone's out there saying, you know, I wish I had a few more likes, followers, retweets. And so they're constantly experimenting, trying to find the path to do that. And what we've all discovered is that the number one path to do that is to be some form of provocative, obnoxious, eloquently obnoxious, eloquently, like eloquent insults, or a dream on Twitter, where you, you, you kind of you rapidly pile up, and, and it becomes this self-fueling
2: process of driving outrage. How, how do you diffuse that? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're spot on, but, but that goes back to the incentives. Like, one of the choices we made in the early days was we, uh, we had this number that showed how many people follow you. We decided that numbers should be big and bold, and anything that's on the page that's big and bold has importance and those are the things that you want to drive. Was that the right decision at the time? Probably not. If I had to start the service again, I would not emphasize the follower count as much. I would not emphasize the, the like count as much. I don't think I would even create like in the first place, because it doesn't, it doesn't actually push what we believe now to be the most important thing, which is healthy contribution back to the network. And conversation to the network, participation within conversation, learning something from the conversation. Those are not things that we thought of 13 years ago and we believe are extremely important right now. So we have to look at <clears throat> how we display the follower count, how we, how we display retweet count, how we display likes, and just ask the deep question, is this really the number that we want people to drive up? Is this the thing that when you open Twitter you see, that's the thing I need to increase. And I, I don't believe that's the case right now.
1: look
0: at some of the tweets that are coming in from the audience as well.
2: Let's see what you guys
1: are asking. I mean, this is generally one of the amazing things about Twitter is how you can use it for crowd wisdom. Um, you know, that more, more knowledge, more questions, more points of view than you can imagine. And sometimes, many of them really healthy.
0: And I think one that I saw, what's Twitter's plan to combat foreign meddling in the 2020 U.S. election? And I think that's something that's an issue we're seeing on the Internet in general, where you have these bots, if you will, or um, uh, coordinated, automated uh, malicious account activity that is being used to influence things like elections. And when you think about that happening on Twitter, what are the things that you're doing specifically to ensure that you don't have misinformation like this spreading in this way, influencing people in in ways that could affect democracy.
2: Um, just, to, just to back up a bit, we we wanted we, we asked ourselves the question, can we actually measure the health of a conversation? And what does that mean? And in the same way that you have indicators and we have indicators as humans in terms of are we healthy or not, um, such as temperature, the flushness of your face, um, we... Believe that we could find the indicators of conversational health. And we worked with a lab um, called Cortico at MIT uh, to propose four, um, four starter indicators that, that we believe that we could ultimately measure on the system. And the first one is um, what we're calling shared attention. It's a measure of how much of the conversation is attentive on the same topic versus disparate. The second one is called shared reality. And this is what percentage of the conversation shares the same facts. Not whether those facts are are truthful or not, but are we sharing the same facts as we converse? The third is receptivity. How much of the conversation is receptive or civil um, or uh, the inverse, toxic? And then the fourth is variety of perspective. So um, are we seeing filter bubbles or echo chambers, or are we actually getting a variety of opinions within the conversation? And implicit in all four of these is the understanding that as they increase, the conversation gets healthier and healthier. So our first step is to see if we can measure these online, which we believe we can. We have the most uh, momentum around receptivity. Uh, we have a toxicity score, a toxicity model on our system that can actually measure whether you are likely to walk away from a conversation that you're having on Twitter because you feel it's toxic, with, with some pretty high degree. Um, we're working to measure the rest. And the next step is, as we, um, as we build out solutions, to watch how these measurements trend over time and continue experiment. And our goal is to make sure that these are balanced, because if you increase one, you might decrease another. If you increase variety of perspective, you might actually decrease shared reality. Jack, just
1: picking up um, on uh, some of the questions flooding in here. I didn't answer the question. (laughs) Um, A lot of people are puzzled why, like, how hard is it to
2: get rid of Nazis from Twitter? Um, so we, we, have, um, we have policies around uh, violent and extremist groups. And the majority of our work and our terms of service works on conduct, not content. So we're actually looking for conduct. Um, so conduct being um, using the service to repeatedly or episodically harass someone. Um, I'm using hateful imagery. Um, that might be associated with the KKK or the, uh, or the American Nazi Party. Those are all things that we, that we act on immediately. Um, we're in a situation right now where that term is used fairly loosely, um, and we just cannot um, take any one mention of that word, accusing someone else as uh, a factual indication that they should be removed from the platform. So a lot of our models are based around, number one, is this uh, account associated with a violent extremist group? And if so, we can take action. And we have done so on KKK and American Nazi Party and others. Uh, number two, are they using imagery or um, conduct that would associate them as such as well?
1: How many people do you have working on content moderation to look at this?
2: It, it varies. Uh, we, we want to be flexible in this because we want to make sure that we're, number one, building... Uh, algorithms instead of just hiring massive amounts of people, because we need to make sure that this is scalable, and there are are no amount of people that can actually scale this. So this is why we've done so much work around proactive uh, detection of abuse that humans can then review. So we want to have a a situation where algorithms are constantly scouring uh, every single tweet, and bringing the most interesting ones to the top so that humans can bring their judgment to whether we should take action or not based on our, our terms of service.
0: But so there's, there's not an amount of people that are scalable, but I mean, how many people do you currently have monitoring these accounts? And, and how do you figure out what's enough?
2: They're completely flexible. So we, we, uh, we, sometimes we associate the folks with spam. Sometimes we associate folks with, uh, with abuse and harassment. We want to make sure that we have flexibility in our people, so that we can direct them at what is most needed. Sometimes the elections. So we've had a string of elections in Mexico, um, one coming up in India. Obviously, the the, uh, uh, the the election last year, the midterm election. So we we just want to be flexible with our resources. So when when people just just as an example, if you go to our current um, if you go to our current terms of service, and you bring the page up and you're wondering about abuse and harassment that you just received and whether it was against our Terms of Service to report it, the first thing you see when you open that page um, is around intellectual property protection. You scroll down and you get to uh, abuse, harassment um, and everything else that you might be experiencing. So I don't know how that happened over the company's history, but we put that above the thing that people want. the most information on and to actually act on. And just our ordering to, like shows the world what we believed was important. So we're changing all that. Um, we're ordering it the right way, but we're also simplifying the rules so that they are human-readable, uh, so that people can actually understand uh, themselves when something is against our terms and when something is not. And then we're making, again, like our, our big focus is on removing the burden of work from the victims. So that means push more towards technology rather than humans doing the work. That, that means the humans receiving the abuse and also the humans having to review that work. So we want to make sure that we're not just encouraging more work around something that's super, super negative, and we want to have a good balance between the technology and where humans can actually be creative, which is the judgment of, of the rules, and not just all the mechanical stuff of finding them and reporting them. So, so that's how we think about it.
1: I'm, I'm curious to dig in more about what you said. I, I mean, I love that you said you, know, you are looking for ways to retweak the fundamental design of the system to um, discourage some of the sort of reactive behavior and perhaps, um, to use Tristan Harris-type language, you know, engage people's more reflective thinking. Um, how, how far advanced is that? I mean, what, what would alternatives to that like button be?
2: Um, well, <clears throat> first and foremost, like, my personal goal uh, with the service is that I, I believe fundamentally that public conversation is critical. There are existential problems facing the world that are facing the entire world, not any one particular nation state, That. Global public conversation benefits, and that is one of the unique dynamics of Twitter: is it is completely open, it is completely public, it is completely fluid, and anyone can see any other conversation and participate in it. So there are conversations like climate change. There are conversations like the displacement of work through artificial intelligence. There are climate. There are conversations like economic disparity. No matter what any one nation state does, they will not be able to solve the problem alone. It takes re- it takes coordination around the world, and that's where I think Twitter can play a part. The second thing is that Twitter right now, when you go to it, you don't necessarily walk away feeling like you learned something. Some people do. Some people have a very, very rich network, very rich community that they learn from every single day. But it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to build up to that. So we want to get people to those topics and those interests much, much faster and make sure that they're finding something that no matter how much time they spend on Twitter, and I don't want to maximize the time on Twitter, I want to maximize what they actually take away from and what they learn from it. And Well, do you, though? Because that's the core question that a lot of people want to know,
1: is surely, Jack, you're constrained to a huge extent by the fact, you know, a public company, you've got investors pressing on you. The number one way you make your money is from... Uh, advertising that depends on user engagement. Um, are, are you willing to sacrifice user time, if need be, to go
2: for a more reflective conversation? Yeah, more, more relevance means less time on the service, and that's perfectly fine. Because we want to make sure that like you're coming to Twitter and, uh, and you see something immediately that, uh, that you learn from and that you push them, and that we can still serve an ad against that. That doesn't mean you need to spend any more time to see more. The second thing that we're looking but, at...
1: But just, just on, on that goal, daily active usage, it, if you're measuring that, that doesn't necessarily mean things that people value every day. It may well mean people, things that people are drawn to, like a moth to the flame every day. We mm-hmm. are addicted because we see something that pisses us off. So we go in and you know, add fuel to the fire, and the daily active usage goes up, and there's more ad revenue there. But, but we're, we all get angrier with each other. Like, how do you define? Like, daily active usage seems like a really dangerous t- term to be optimized.
2: Taken. <laughs> taken alone, it is. But you didn't finish. You don't let me finish. The other metric, which is, um, we're we're watching for conversations and conversation chains. So we, we want to we incentivize healthy con- contribution back to the network. And what we believe that is, is actually participating in conversation that is healthy, as defined by those, by those four indicators uh, I, I articulated earlier. So y- you can't just optimize around one metric. You have to balance and look constantly at what is actually going to create a healthy contribution to the network and a healthy experience for people. Ultimately, we want to get to a metric where people can tell us that, hey, I learned something from Twitter and I'm walking away with something valuable. That is, that is our goal ultimately over time, but that's going to take some time.
1: You come over to many, I think to me, as this, this enigma. Um, you, you know, I had this, this is possibly unfair, but I had this, I woke up the other night just with this picture of how I found I was thinking about you and the situation, that we're on this, this great voyage with you on this this ship called the Titanic. Um, and um, there, are, you know, there, are, there are people on board in steerage who are expressing discomfort, and you, unlike many other captains, are saying, well, tell me, talk to me, listen to me, I want to hear. And they talk to you and they say, we're worried about the iceberg ahead. And you go, you know, that is a powerful point. And our ship, frankly, hasn't been built properly for steering as well as it might. And we say, please do something, and you go to the bridge, and um, and we're waiting, and and we look in, and you're you're showing this extraordinary calm, but we're all standing outside saying, Jack, turn the fucking wheel! You know? I mean... It's... It's it's, it's democracy at stake, it's it's our culture at stake, it's our world at stake, And, and Twitter, is amazing and, and shapes so much. It's not as big as some of the other platforms, but the people of influence use it to set the agenda. And I, I, like, it's just hard to imagine a more important role in the world than to, I mean, you're doing a brilliant job of listening, Jack, and hearing people, but to actually dial up the urgency and take, you know, move on this stuff. I mean, will you, will you, will you do that?
2: Yet, yes, and, and we, have been mo- we have been moving substantially. I mean, there's, there's been a few dynamics in, in Twitter's history. One, when I came back to the company, we were in a pretty dire state in terms of our future. Um, and, and not just from you know, how people were using the platform, but from a corporate narrative as well. So we had to fix a bunch of the foundation, turn the company around go through two crazy layoffs because we just got too big for what we were doing. And we focused all of our energy on this concept of serving the public conversation. And that took some work. And as we dived into that, we realized some of the issues with the fundamentals. We could do a bunch of superficial things to address what you're talking about, but we need to change this to last. And that means going really, really deep and paying attention to what we started 13 years ago, and really questioning how the system works and how the framework works, and what is needed for the world today, given how quickly everything is moving and how people are using it. Us. So we are working as quickly as we can, but it's, its quickness will not get the job done. It's focus, it's prioritization, it's understanding the fundamentals of the network, and building a framework that scales and that is resilient to change, and being open about where we are and being transparent about where we are so that we can continue to earn trust. So I'm proud of all the frameworks that we've put in place. I'm proud of our direction. I, you know, we, we obviously can move faster, but that required just stopping a bunch of stupid stuff we were doing in the past.
1: All right. Well, I suspect that there are there are many people here who, if given a chance, would love to help you on this change making agenda you're on. And uh, I don't know, Whitney. I mean, Jack. Thank you for coming here, speaking so openly. Uh, took courage. Really appreciate what you said. And good luck with your mission. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: For more TED talks, go to TED.com.